Here's another fun episode with my friend Tim Jack speaking on attachment theory. We dive a bit into our personal lives, starting with him. So if you haven't caught our previous episodes on attachment theory or any of my other, I mean, I had Joseph Teske on, psychotherapist, speaking about it. If you don't know what it is, you probably want to listen to one of those episodes first because we jump right in going into uh, kind of a philosophical inquiry. And uh, Tim asked some pretty insightful questions about attachment theory beyond just uh, explaining it. So I think it's very interesting on whether you can change your attachment styles, how how contextual they may or may not be. We speak specifically to the male hero's journey of how I, I view that switching from different insecure attachment styles is part of the journey for most men in developing security. But without giving away too much of the episode, um, you could just dive in, but hopefully you know what attachment theory is already because we keep referencing it. Uh, right now you're listening to episode 039, Deeper into Attachment Theory featuring Tim Jack. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, Perpetual Orgasm, Infinite Play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. Um, yeah, I met this girl on a train. Um, she was a celebrity. Uh, and um, she basically did this really cool thing um, where she went across the country on some rollerblades. And, and um, uh, we had this really nice time. And it ended up evolving into her coming to my place and staying for about four days at my place. And it was just like, uh, it was just super intoxicating and it ended up all of, this is such a, a good podcast to have right now. I don't, I don't want to talk about my situation very much, but I just had such an intense like brush with my own anxious attachment to the point where like when she left, I was, this is so embarrassing, but whatever. And when she left, I was like writing love poetry, like a, like an adolescent with a live journal, like seriously for like seven days, like real intense, like not good poetry, but like, you know, and, um, and, uh, and I can't really hear you right now. So I'm not sure if you're, can you say something? Oh, I, I, I'm on mute so I could chew. There you go. There you go. Um, anyways, um, so we hung out for a while, then she went back to uh, Hong Kong. And, um, and like, I was just like, so super into her, but it didn't feel like a healthy into somebody. It felt like a, like a real, like a lot of anxiety, like super anxious and super like, like wanting to, every time I would talk to her, I would just feel like I was in fight or flight mode kind of. And, um, and then like I self, I'd self-destructed it two nights ago. That's when I wanted to call you. But I like, <laughs> I, I got on the phone with her and I was with a woman the night before and her and I ended up having sex a couple of times, but I didn't want to. And I was having trouble, like, nah, I don't say, I wouldn't say I was having trouble performing, but I would say that um, it felt like a performance, if that makes any sense. And it was because I was really thinking about this oh. other, this other girl, like big time. But what was tripping me out is this girl was like, this is her energy, dude. Like it was so free spirited to the max. Like the way that she lived her life was like, I'm in this experience. And then when, when this experience is over, I'm done with it. And that's like, it's, it's a just super free spirited, super. Like I wander, I play by my own rules. I choose to be happy all the time, like kind of sun kissed way of looking at the world. But there was things that I was overlooking about it. Like the fact that I think it was actually pretty naive in a lot of ways, but she was just so attractive that I like overlooked all this stuff. And I just let myself get wrapped into this super anxious kind of spiral. So of course it all came out and I was like, Oh, I think I'm falling in love with you and all this stupid shit. And 
if I would have let it go two days, dude, I would have probably come back to it. Like the best situation would have been just like, let it fizzle out. And if it was a good thing that happened, let it fizzle out and go. Mm-hmm. But instead I was like, Oh God, like I want to make this happen. I want to hyper connect us. And she's in a different country, but that doesn't matter. She doesn't want to settle down or be in a committed relationship, but that doesn't matter. Like nothing <laughs> matters. you know. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty anxious of you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it was so bad. It, it's. It, I'm glad that I'm laughing about it with you now because it makes me feel better about it. it yeah. Was- Do you want my thoughts? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, because it's funny. I, I just had a similar conversation with a coaching client like literally minutes ago. Oh, yeah. He, he, I mean, yeah, he had, he had a lot of anxious stuff. I mean, very similar uh, history of anxious and, and anxious attachment with everybody who's ever been with, you know, ever. Uh, made a lot of progress in becoming super secure almost like a little avoidant, like he started dating around, like maybe to, you know, go to the other end, you know, mm-hmm. um, but he, he met someone at a total like storybook rom-com, like super infatuated. And he was worried that he was going to flip back to his anxiousness after like many months of being secure. And yeah. so we made a list of like all the things, all the behaviors that are anxious behaviors and all the secure things that he's done recently. And like, how can he know if he's doing some, how, how can he know if he's drunk? essentially like what yeah, are the drunk yeah. so like i mean i have it right in front That's of me way I'm putting it too by the way like being drunk because it it feels like i don't know if drunk is the word actually but it definitely feels like you're on a drug it definitely like almost like more like cocaine but it's like uh it's like attachment cocaine almost like yeah attachment like- cocaine yeah whatever actually i'm getting drunk uh, i had a friend's coach person friend um who uh would always call like anytime you weren't you weren't like in your perfect headspace you were drunk and he kind of used like a bunch of like sobriety language, like kind of analogously to like, I don't know, like in a spiritual way. But anyway, like he would always be like, if you're not in the right headspace, you're drunk. Like he'd be like, oh, you're drunk right now. You're not, you're not, you're, I mean, we, we never spoke about anxious attach or attachment theory back then. But, um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. I, I, what are your things? Like, it's like the, if you, if you consider like uh, you're, you're a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde characters, everyone is, and like your Hyde is your uh, insecure self or whatever or your drunk self like how do you know when you're tripping balls tripping on insecurity so well, I mean, th- this is interesting too because i think that anybody and, and we kind of covered this a little bit in our last conversation but i think that anybody that like the whole idea that you have a dominant attachment type i buy into that because insofar as you will see patterns in how you attach to people that are predominant but i also you mentioned that you can be avoidant in the right circumstances as well So I think that, you know, or you can flip back and forth depending on how the person like triggers you or who is. That's more my, that's more my viewpoint. I think it's very contextual. Yeah, definitely. Um, But with this particular person, it was like, uh, it was almost like there's certain behaviors that a person will do that will really trigger your attachment. Like, I feel like whatever your like default attachment mode is, you know, especially if it's like, and I, I kind of wanted to ask you about this. Where do you think the root of it comes from for both? You know, because it, it seems like on one level, it seems a little bit, I don't want to be too harsh here, but it seems like pathological. And so far as you are basically sublimate, sublimating boundaries for feigned um, intimacy, that isn't really true intimacy, you know? So it's pathological in that That's way. That's really way to put it. Yeah. But um, but it also seems like it serves a purpose because 
when you, I, I kind of dug into attachment types a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And when they do experiments on people that are anxious, they're a lot more, they assess risk a lot better. So they're really, really good at assessing, you know, like if there's a change in somebody's tone or body language or whatever it is. And avoidance tend to be really, really good at coming up with solutions quickly and, and, and implementing the solution. So it's kind of like two interesting sides of a, of a pragmatic coin in relationships. Um, but it, when they get together, it usually doesn't end very well. But where am I going with this? I had a point that I was trying to make and now I lost the thread. Um, well, I actually, I mean, I think that, I mean, I, I do think that the insecure attachment styles are kind of like masculine feminine polarity in some ways. And mm -hmm. I think that's why in conventional dating, you often see like, there's always like a woman chasing a man type thing when it comes to intimacy. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, not, not to genderify it necessarily, but, I, but, but the, the positive side of it is that um, there are skill sets that kind of go together well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a good way of putting it too, because if you just kind of look at like who is successful, like what, what, um, what maladaptive attachment type is the best for dating? It's probably being an avoidantly attached male because that's, that seems to be a lot more successful than anxiously attached male. And that's the masculine way of being, I would assume. You ever see my, um, article on Wolverine versus Colossus. That was the first article that I read by you actually. Oh, cool. On the 71. Yeah. So I, I wrote that before I really considered, um, attachment theory. I don't think I mentioned attachment theory in that article. I don't remember. Um, but like my whole thing was like, uh, you did had to choose between being really watery or being ice cold, like Colossus, you are better off being Colossus It's way better than being needy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but mean, but like, you ended up, you ended up saying Wolverine was the better one. Well, Wolverine to me is secure because Wolverine oh. knows he's going to regenerate when he opens his heart. Mm. he's fearless like he can put himself in those vulnerable situations because he knows deep down inside he's okay oh okay yeah that's cool i didn't catch i didn't really catch but, that but but i mean colossus probably gets laid a lot too he just doesn't experience intimacy i mean the colossus right so so i'm curious you i i'm a little bit skeptical that you were anxiously attached when you were younger and that you became avoidantly attached please debunk my skepticism um, I actually, I mean, I want to go a little beyond that because I, I, I was, uh, when I was in Miami, I was meaning to speak about attachment theory and how like there is a progression, right? And I think almost every guy who gets really into dating or like, studying this kind of stuff starts at anxious because if you're the avoidant jock in high school, you probably don't have the pain to, to put yourself through the humiliation of reading a dating book, right? Oh. Like only people who've experienced pain do that kind of thing. That's right? such yeah, yeah, totally. You start anxious. Oh, yeah, totally. That's so true. I could tell you about my story if you want, but I want to go to the conceptual stuff first. So you learn how to be avoidant because you see all these jocks who've been always killing it and like everyone wants to be around them and all the anxious people want to be around them because they, they fulfill the anxious, you know, they fulfill the whole thing we've been talking about ad nauseum. Um, then you go, you become this icy colossus avoidant. Uh -huh. Get laid a lot because you can and then you realize it's not fulfilling and you realize you've been hurting people, you realize that you actually are still wounded inside and you end up suffering when you end up in intimate relationships or whatever the experience is, and then you slowly become secure. And I think that's part of the male hero's journey in terms of dating. Maybe it's true for everyone, um, but 
you go from anxious to avoidant, maybe back to anxious, maybe back to avoidant. You keep flip flopping until you hit secure. You kind of, yeah, and and there's still always the outlier of who you're dating to, right? That kind of yeah, because use the rom com <laughs> thing. I think you, you texted me about how movies all have attachment theory, right? I mean, essentially, all the well, rom coms. I don't, I don't. I was trying to, yeah, yeah, rom coms in particular. Yeah, so rom coms. It's usually. Uh, usually the avoidant person realizes their folly at some point towards the end of the movie or, yeah. or they're, they're, they're met by their match, right? Like the, the yes. super hot, the Ryan Gosling finally meets the Emma Stone. He's like, oh my God. Or Matthew McConaughey, yeah. like failure to launch. He's like, oh, I need to yeah. read. <laughs> Whatever it is. I actually, I haven't seen any of those movies, but I just, I just know the rom-coms and I know the plot is certainly attachment theory. So like yeah. it, 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 at some point they get exposed. Like the ice queen is like, oh my God, I actually really like this guy. Like they have that, that private moment, like two thirds into the movie where they, they think and the whole, the whole audience realizes, wow, she really likes him. Yeah. And then, you know, okay. and that's the whole, that's part of the journey. I wonder if this is like kind of branching off a little bit, but I wonder if this is a union archetype that I'm just not aware of. But like if, if, if this is a pattern throughout human history that's been recurring forever and what it would be called in like, like um, what is it? Archetypal psychology. Hmm, that's a good, um, that'd be interesting trivia wise. Um, I think attachment theory, I love it so much because it really is so like simple and empirical and uh, easy to put, easy to put this model on a lot of things you experience, but there's probably a Jungian version too. So I, I'm really interested in how one would move from anxious to avoidant. I've actually never seen a video specifically on that, which is kind of interesting because you're basically telling somebody to move to one poor strategy to another but you're telling them to move from one poor strategy to another in service of getting to the overall best strategy, which is a secure attachment. Yeah. Or you're not, you're not saying they have to do that, but you're saying that that's often the pattern that it follows. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think, like if I met an anxious guy now, uh, like I, for even you, like I wouldn't tell you, right, exactly. I wouldn't tell you to become avoidant, but in trying to like uh, dismantle your anxious behaviors, it's better to err on the side of avoidance especially as a guy, especially as a single guy, right? Like you really have nothing to lose by playing avoidant in the short term. If it helps you overcome. The whole idea of playing, there's something about the idea of playing a role or performing or not being, it, it, it sounds like another kind of like early pickup artisty way of just performance as a way of covering up, like whatever is true about you in that moment, which doesn't seem like a very good strategy to me. Well, if you could go straight to security, cool, right? But I'm just saying, I think that's the natural progression. Like, it's not my, I don't recommend anyone become avoidant, but if you're constantly in the anxious role, if you're constantly getting schooled and constantly getting friend zoned, being a little icy won't hurt. It's yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Really nice, uh, nice guy all the time. I have, some, I have something, I have something to say that, that I think a lot of anxiously attached guys will probably it'll make them cry a little bit, but is an important point. And um, this is something that I noticed. So I've, I've been relatively successful in dating. I'm certainly not going to be a coach at fearless or <laughs> giving people lessons or anything, but I've, I've definitely improved. And with this last girl in particular, um, 
I I noticed that it felt good to get back into all that romanticism. So I was writing poems, dude. Wrote some fucking poetry, dude. But but I was writing poems, and it kind of felt self indulgent. And I started, even though I enjoyed it, it's I started to feel weak in the process. And as I was sharing this poetry with this romanticism, I started to feel like our own polarities change. And and hold on, you sh- shared the poems with her. Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. That's different than what I thought. But anyway, go on. Yeah. No, this is, I'm letting you guys into a dark night of the soul for me. <laughs> but but anyway, so, but on one level for the anxious person, it, it felt good to me to do that. And I think for a lot of anxious guys, it will feel good to pour your heart out. You'll think that you're being honest or you think that you're being somehow like, like you'll be able to put a romantic spin on and anxious and maladaptive behavior just because it feels so strong. And a part of becoming like more of a secure person is in a lot of ways, letting that die or disidentifying or beginning to trust less that real strong pull and strong desire you have to connect with someone so quickly. And that's, and that's, that's a really sad thing to do, you know, and it's, that's not usually how people think about it, but there is an element I think of like, idealism and romanticism that lives in a lot of anxiously attached guys that really fuels a lot of what they're even looking for in relationships. And in order for them to get what they want, they kind of have to let it burn off the vine. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of a tough realization. And I saw that in, in real time with this woman, I was like writing out these poems and I was watching her lady boner, just like completely dis- dissipate before my eyes. And then I told her I was falling in love with her. And then I mentioned to her that I was, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep with another girl or I couldn't connect with another girl because I was so into her. I did so many horrifically bad things. Like, because I was, dude, it was so bad. It was so, it was so bad, man. And I'm, I'm so happy I went through it to be honest, because I haven't had that cringe worthy of a, of a thing with a woman in a long time. And, um, and I recovered from it way, way quicker than I ever would have when I was younger. Like I was aware as it was happening, but it was almost like in, in like in Jungian psychology where uh, people get possessed, possessed by a persona, like the idea of becoming possessed, possessed by a persona. Like you can see when someone's being the ma- magician because they're yeah. being a trickster or whatever. Right. Yeah. That's so, interesting. Cause like before you said the cringe stuff, I was actually going to say like, I think it's kind of beautiful to write the poetry. I think it's beautiful to put yourself into the, into that state. And I, I remember like when I was really anxious, I wrote poetry all the time. And like, you know, yeah. I've, I've written maybe four poems as an adult and it's all been very heartbreaking. It's really beautiful and like something yeah. or whatever, but I wouldn't have shared it with her because <laughs> that's where I think it, it, it goes, it, it crosses the line where like, that to me is the indulgent part is the sharing part. Like not, yeah. it's actually, to me, it's actually ruining the beauty of this private moment you have with yourself where you're like you're completely raw because you know it's going to kill the lady boner well here's the thing too about that is when you're writing it you know there's an element of having to stop yourself from doing something with the intention of showing somebody else so what's a, a clear way of putting this is i'm writing the poem with the with the idea that if i was this is what i would want to say to her but i'm taking this is what my heart would want to say to her. And I'm taking the time to kind of spell it out and I'm letting my heart write. So for the anxious guy, the logical next step would be like, Oh, now let me tell her all my feelings. That's what I should do. Right. But, but what you're basically saying is, well, it's great, great that you have that beautiful impulse. And that's, that's like, I think that's like a, 
like nature's immune response to a bit of sadness is it, it, it lets you kind of get it out in that way. Like, you know what I mean? But, but, but the desire to show somebody, it then becomes less about you experiencing the, these deep feelings for yourself and processing them and, and letting them be there for you to like, no, Hey, here, take these. And now it's a form of manipulation. And I'm instead, exactly. you know what I mean? It's like, I think that's a really good way to put it because it's yeah. really, because getting to feel that level of emotion is kind of the point of being alive. But now yeah. you're trying to pimp it and make it productive and like get love out of it. You can't do it. It's so it's so sad. Like that's that's the biggest tragedy for anxiously attached men. I think is like you want to think that you can have this this person that can give you the true connection that you can hand them that poem and then they can cradle it like a bird and put it in them and then you can bow to them and they bow to you for the beauty. It's like, dude, that's unfortunately that's not how it works. So can I tell you about my my anxious life? Because I was so anxious. I was so, so anxious. God, I find that so fucking hard to believe. But yeah, please lay it on yeah, me. Well, Wait, I have a nice spot now. <laughs> I'm going to get some more water. Oh, yeah, get your water. All the anxious dudes out there. Mm-hmm. Just, just as a little uh, update on my thing with this woman. So um, the last thing I, I said to her, I, I, got, I got resentful. And I was, this happens to a lot to anxious guys too. They won't be saying what's true. And then what will happen is they'll get super fucking resentful. And like the nice guy facade will end up becoming anger and all of the manipulation tactics that really you were responsible for. Like you just like your ideals shatter, shatter and instead of blaming yourself, you blame the other person and resent them. So, so at the end of my thing, uh, this is, gosh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I can say this. We can, we could probably cut this part out, but um, she wanted to do this thing with I me. Called, nothing out, by the way. What? I don't do cutting out anymore, but go ahead. Um, well, I guess we don't know who she is. She wanted to do this thing called breeding and breeding is basically where you, uh, act like you're going to make a baby with somebody like, you know, have you ever heard of it before breeding? I've, I've never heard of it in that context. No. Well, it's like, um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like impregnation role play. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I had never heard of it before. So we did impregnation role play and. I was worried that maybe she got impregnated. I mean, I pulled out and everything, but I was worried that that may have happened. Um, so the last thing that I said to her was like, you know, I don't really, I don't, I, this was after me saying, I want to try and say goodbye again, like a lot of chumpy shit. And then I was like, you know what? I don't really need to do this. Just please let me know when you get your period. So I don't have to worry about it anymore. So it was like the worst possible thing you can say. And and here and and this is what I, this is, was just a long, a very long. I, I can feel your cringe, and I. Yeah. I but you would be a great rom com star because you're the anxious guy. She just need to find an, an avoidant chick who would change her mind in Act Three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if there's there's not going to be an Act Three, but yeah. Um, anyways, so I want to hear about your anxious thing. This is to sum it up. This is this is what I wanted to to get at is that. Like now what I have to do now that I'm out of my anxious thing and I feel secure again, I want to reapproach her and be like, oh, you know, I'm, I acted really dumb and I'm sorry about that. And I don't, we don't have to talk, but I just, I know that I wasn't cool about that. So I apologize. I was just anxious or whatever. And that is, it's weird, but I know that that's a little cover up for wanting to kind of ease back into that anxious thing. So I just wanted to, to typify it with that. It's like the temptation to become anxious is always, it feels like it's kind of calling you and it comes in a lot of different ways. Like the truth about it is it's not a workable relationship. It already fizzled out. It was never that great to begin with. I was always overly invested. Let it go. 
that's the truth. But it's just interesting how, like, yeah, it's just like, it, for some reason, I'm thinking about Harry Potter. Lord of the Rings, the ring. I want you to put on the ring. It's like anxious attachment, like, yeah. put on the ring. <laughs> yeah, you become drunk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The truth thing is to recognize the truth. Yeah. 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 Anyways, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, um, yeah, I haven't told this story in a long time. I'm just remembering uh, that <laughs> the last time I told this story, it was years after after this rejection happened, and mm-hmm. someone had asked me, uh, tell me, I was actually like, h- kind of hanging out with this chick, and she was like, oh, tell me about yourself. Like, like, who are you? She was a friend of a friend. And I, for two hours, I told her how this chick broke my heart in high school. Like, that's how attached I was to her, like, many years later. Anyway, I don't know, it's random, random, random remembrance. Um, yeah, I was really shy growing up. I'll tell, I mean, I'll skip over this, the sobby parts. Uh, but like, uh, I was really shy growing up in middle school. I had this one friend who was like, um, one female friend who was the one person who was like nice to me because I was such the, I was the quiet kid in the group. And, yeah. um, was there a name for you? It was like the quiet room. Quiet room. That's right. Yeah. People call it quiet room. It's terrible. I hate it. Um, and, uh, and basically, uh, Anyway, basically, then, then puberty happened. She, she was like my best friend because she was the only chick that would talk to me. Um, then puberty happened. So I was like, wow, like she's kind of hot too. I never thought that before. And I spent <laughs> two years in high school, like working at the Courage to ask her out. Meanwhile, the entire high school could tell that I had a crush on her. It was very obvious. I was the only person who didn't realize how obvious it was. And um, finally, after two years, I asked her out. On Valentine's Day, I, wrote, I, I cut class all day so I could write her an epic poem on like seven sheets of loose leaf. Um, awesome. and, I admire that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, that's the thing. Like, so I knew she was going to say no. But on Valentine's Day morning, I saw all the kids with like roses and like Valentine's Day cards on the, on the school bus. And I was like, I don't even care if she rejects me. Like, I just have to, I just have to do that. I felt this like crazy, like it felt like an LSD high. I hadn't done drugs yet in my life, but like it felt like this high where it's just like, this is like the most bold, like troubadour, poetic thing ever. I'm going to cut school all day. Yeah. Yeah, I am truth right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, I felt that. I felt that I before. School, I cut school. I, I got this thing. And I think she, she knew because she was avoiding. I mean, we would sometimes see each other throughout the day. But like, no matter where, I just couldn't find her. Like, I think, I'm pretty sure that she was avoiding, like specifically avoiding me on Valentine's Day. Was avoidantly day. attaching to you? Yeah, well, she was making a point because she didn't want it to reject me because she knew I was going to do something stupid like I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, f- finally, like an hour after school, I had like tracked her down, but asking everybody, so probably the whole school knew. I finally, you know, tracked her down. Whenever I gave, you know, I asked her out. I forget what I said, and she gave me a line from Friends, straight from Friends, <laughs> which was, "I'm not in a place where I can date right now." Like, and I remember it because there was a Friends episode where Rachel said that exact same thing, like line word for word from someone else. So I knew she got it straight from TV. And then, um, and then, uh, well, anyway, that, from then on, I decided I was never going to be a bitch again. So, how old were you? Fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. So- oh, and and it, it, I don't want to mix things up, but like it's not totally related. But two months earlier, I tried to kill myself, not because of her, but because I was just so anxious and like agoraphobic and like in pain all the time. And the fact that I was like longing for this woman and this personal fable in my head just added to like the the romanticism, honestly, of of uh, killing yourself. But um, can, I, yeah. can I add a contentious point to that? Yeah. Which, by the way, I'm really sorry to hear that. That's really sad, and I'm glad that you didn't kill yourself when you were 15. Thanks. 
Awesome. But it was a positive spin, but you go yeah, to your yeah. first. Yeah, but still, like, that's heavy. Um, <clears throat> so you're 15, though, and a lot of the anxious guys that you deal with are 29, 33, however old it gets. Yeah. And there is something to be said for the fact that at 15, your brain hasn't formed yet, like, at all. Like, your brain is still in formation. So it, I, I don't know. Your brain is in formation. Well, it was you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Your brain is in formation. It doesn't really fully form until what? I think it's for for dudes. It's earlier than women, right? No, it's later. No, it's later. There, yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, it's so, why why women date older, especially when they're young. Hmm. Interesting. Um. So. So if I'm if I'm a dude listening to you, I think well, he was 15, and he made this big decision, which by the way, I don't think I made any decisions that I remember when I was 15 that fundamentally changed my worldview because what the hell did I know then? <laughs> but, but like you made a decision to become essentially what, I guess avoidant at the time. And was it just a, like, I guess my skepticism is around like guys that have been doing it for so long. Cause you just hit puberty roughly two years before. So it's like you weren't, you were just kind of like navigating it. But guys that have been practicing being anxiously attached from puberty, through puberty, through young adulthood, through emerging adulthood, to adulthood, it's like, it doesn't seem like it would be that easy to just be like, okay, well, you know what I'm saying? Maybe not, maybe not. Uh, and, and that's a, it's a, it's a fair point. But let me keep telling you because it wasn't, there's more, right? So like I made the decision that I was never going to, hurt that bad again because it hurt so bad it's actually came up um it's came up a couple times i was speaking with xana on the on the podcast with the about like i i've never felt that level of emotion since in my life because i was actually i was doing this exercise that this other coach did i was like like think about your absolute worst day and the day that i mentioned to you was my absolute worst day and like for i mean in in the magnitude of pain i felt that was my worst, like that period of my life, like more than like relatives dying, more than any other disappointment in my life. And like, when I look wow. at it objectively, like it's kind of messed up because like worse things have happened to me objectively than getting rejected when I was 15, but I've never hurt so bad. And that was one of my decisions. I was never going to let myself hurt that bad, which came from mental decisions to close off, but also I just wanted to be the man. And that was, that's what got me into lifting weights, into reading spirituality, into everything that now my life is based off of. So I've actually messaged this. I mean, we're still in touch, kind of. You know, she's engaged, but we haven't really seen each other in, in a decade. But I messaged her a while ago, saying like, "You, your rejection set up my entire life. <laughs> like, like the everything I'm grateful for." The needy guy. Life. What's that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was like the neediest message ever. You changed my life. <laughs> no, but it was not. But no, I'm just kidding. I know that's not how she took it. I'm just. No, I know, but like it, it wasn't. It was vulnerable, but it wasn't needy. I was just like, I know it wasn't. Like, thank you. No, I know, but I, I just want to make the distinction, especially for anyone listening. Like, it was it was a declaration of like that pain. Like, thank you for that pain, because everything I have and I love about my life now came from that pain, which I know sounds crazy, but it's true. And um, oh, I'm gonna get a little emotional. I might actually show an emotion for a change. Ah, all right, stuff it down. Okay, it's cool. I'm just kidding. Um. But, but, but the actual change process, I mean, to your point, uh, the change process took a lot longer than that because I was still pretty anxious since college. I, and, and I might be mixing up a few things like attachment theory with just the general anxiety because like I'm still pretty introverted and shy. And in college, I was very socially anxious still, but I didn't show it the way I did in high school. I tried to play it cool. So a lot of people thought I was an asshole in college when I was really just like really nervous to be around people. 
I just didn't show it. Oh, I met a lot of guys like you. I used yeah. to love fucking with guys like you. I thought it was so easy. Yeah, and I hated it. I, I, it looks like people would like, I'd be at a party and I'd be feeling nervous, but instead of looking nervous, I would like just be blank faced. And people would be like, I, I don't know, people would like always tease me for like being at a party and then not like, obviously not having a good time. But really, I was just like trying to stuff down my, my anxiety and my terror mm-hmm. being around people. But um, anyway, I don't know. I don't know if I have a I have an end, end to my tale. So that's the end. Well, that's that's interesting. So you had a pivotal moment when you were fifteen, and you got to basically tell this woman that the worst experience of my life was like the phoenix metaphor, where I rose from the ashes because of being almost destroyed, right? And the phoenix now is the life that I have. Yeah. <clears throat> it took years though to start feeling good. I mean, I don't think I really, really became secure until a few years ago. And in, and some would argue, such as my friend Joe Sitesky would argue that I'm not secure. I'm just faking it. But like, I actually feel really good about my life and myself. And, um, you know, from that painful decision, it was maybe a decade before I really started feeling like the journey I was on led me to something sustainable. And yeah, where I don't feel less than people anymore. So I don't know. It was it was a it was a process. So I just brought that up because yeah, I mean, I made a decision earlier in life to not be anxious, but I don't think I actually beat it until many years later. Hmm. So do you ever like have anxiously attached moments? Is there ever a girl where you're like, oh, she's so hot, she's so awesome, and um, go into frustrated chump mode? So I don't actually let myself go there, like somewhat recently i was kind of i mean i get infatuated all the time actually i was infatuated with this woman but i was infatuated with her and she hit a lot of my check boxes of what would be a good relationship so i kind of went to personal fable then me then i saw her again after months and it was just like not on and i'm basically like yeah i'll, I'll admit like i basically got friend zoned uh, i've talked about it with Orupani on the podcast and he makes fun oh, of me our, Ru, our perfect ideal of ruan has been crushed he got friend zoned well that's the whole let me let me continue because the moment I realized that it wasn't there, I closed off. And like now, now I now I it's strange. I kind of think of her as annoying, the same person. But I, I think that's partly a defense mechanism against feeling less than. So I went straight to icy. It's like oh okay, but um. So the answer is no. But I was talking about this with Zan recently on the podcast. Like I don't know. I mean, one of my efforts to not be so avoidant is like recognizing that I do want to be moved. Like the only time I've really, the last time I wrote poetry was when I had an abortion experience with a woman and it wasn't like she rejected me. We just had, we just like an aborted, what would have been a kid. And that, that, that filled me with such emotions. That's like, honestly, like redirected my relationship life greatly. And it actually is the main reason why I even care about the anxious avoidant thing uh, at all. Like, um, that's my point here. Oh, but I, do, I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have stepped into that space willingly. Hmm. I wouldn't have put myself in a, in a position where I look like a Trump because, uh, yeah, I just don't want to go there. So do you think that the logical extreme for people that are hearing this is at all costs, don't look like a chump? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I, I'd say if you have a history of anxiety and like, I don't know, I'll, I'll speak to men, right? Just to use a little more aggressive yeah, language. Still the power in the woman's perspective, or not the, I shouldn't say the woman, just the person of your you know, idolization. You're still giving them the power if you're trying not to look like a chump. Yes. Yeah. Well, right. ultimately, security is the greatest virtue. There's many, there's, it's not always a straight shot, is what I want to tell people. 
And um, I do think for men specifically, you're better off if you're single. I think if you're in a relationship, this is not good advice. But if you're single, it's better to be icy than to be needy. Because icy guys still have women in their lives, typically. Unless they're... I mean, that's not always true, but certainly more than neediness. Can you define icy a little bit more? Because it's... Like uh, you're unaffected. You're never in a in a submissive state. Like you're never less than. You're never the one who's in a position where you could have your heart broken. Um, it's not sustainable. I wouldn't. I wouldn't live there. I think eventually you'll stay. You'll feel soulless, even if you're getting laid a ton. However, um, I do think anxiety is the more adolescent feeling. And I don't mean to be judgmental about it, but like. I do think um, I do think there's a progression. Everyone I know that's moved from from anxiety to security has had an avoided phase, at least. And sometimes it's only a few weeks. Like my client who I was just talking about, he's been anxious his whole life. Uh, he was kind of avoidant for like literally weeks. Like he was dating a bunch and like not really giving a shit. And then now he's like kind of in a secure place where he's like really infatuated with this woman and like. But not doing the anxious stuff that we listed out not to do. Don't do these things. <laughs> Don't read your poem to her. Like things like that. Yeah, that's so interesting, man. Because um, yeah, it's really hard for people to. Because this is what I can hear. I can hear like uh, critics of this saying, "Okay, well, eventually, who you are is going to come out." And if you happen to be a person that is like. And, and this is where we might get into different def definitions of anxiety. But if you're an anxious person, it's probably because you learned that model of love from your parents or because your relationship with one of your primary caregivers was like neglectful or inconsistent and you didn't really know when you were or weren't going to get your needs met. So you carry that into your relationship, right? And the idea that like that you can transform that, it's I I guess I have trouble with it just because I want to err on the side of not having people think that they can become avoidant or that somehow being anxious is fundamentally wrong because there's plenty of avoidant women out there too that will probably like an anxious guy because they they kind of meet the opposite spectrum of where the avoidant would lack. Like you said yourself, I end up getting in a lot of relationships with, or not in a lot of relationships, but I find myself in relationships with dudes that are avoid or anxious sometimes. Like I don't know what the dude's name is that you're talking about. Wait, I said this? Yeah, you're like... Um, oh, I have friendships, yeah. Friendships, friendships. Oh, I, I have friendships where... And this is, yeah, yeah. What I was saying is that like some of, the, some of the friendships I'm most attached to are not pleasurable friendships. They're friendships with people who are super anxious and I feel like I'm always talking down to them to get their shit together. Yeah. And, uh, and I realized like, oh, that's probably... That's how I'm attached to it. Because it's clear how they're attached to me. They're attached to me because they want me to fix their life but I'm attached to them because I get something out of talking down to a friend, which I don't have with paying clients. Like I'm very conscious with clients, like of making things clean, but with friendship, it gets murky. I think honestly, yeah. I'm doing it out of charity. And that's where anyway, it's, well, you have to kind of, you have to kind of like flex your boundaries to be somebody's friend in a sense too. Like, because this is what, this is like, to your point, if you're avoidant, and you're icy, then you're probably going to get more dates, but it's not a sustainable or scalable relationship model for you because eventually you want to let somebody in and you have to do that to have connection in general. There has to be some kind of yeah. emotional risk. 
No, this is what I do want to say because I don't. I don't want to tell anyone. I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off, but I don't want to tell anyone that they should be avoidant. However, a lot of the so I, I think there is a progression from anxious to avoidant, and maybe back and forth to security for men because almost all dating advice out there is teaching guys to be avoidant. We might have talked about this, like yeah, the yeah. rational male, the Rolo Tomasi, the red pill stuff, which is all rational and true and like legit. It's all very cold. Like it's almost like encouraging guys to be cold and not follow their feelings. And there is a short-term benefit to it. And I recommended the ra- I recommend the rational male to every anxious guy I know of like, listen, you need to see facts. You need to see the cold, hard facts of relationship a little more. You thought that the cold, hard facts, because I, because I, I was not impressed with that book at all. Like I, I read a little bit of it, and it, it immediately struck me as like, hey, this is like, this does not apply to all women. This kind of sounds like somebody that has a relatively unsophisticated view of just human beings in general. Like women are this, men are this. It's like now, like yeah, sure, there's some differences, but at the end of the day, you're dealing with human beings. It doesn't really matter, you know. Like human beings want want a lot of the same shit. So I, I know I understand what you're saying, and I, I I know what your next rebuttal is going to be, but it seems yeah, like, like it seems like the guys that are the best with women, it's just because they view them as human beings. They're not amazing and they're not horrible. They're just another human being to relate to, and I relate to you because I care about you, or because whatever it works, we're compatible, or whatever it is. But the yeah. idea, you know what that I mean? Was, that's the that's the secure thing you said. However. Uh, the guy who reads the rational mail, who's super icy, who puts everyone in categories. I mean, all of that stuff is was scientifically collated, right? It's like it's like looking at cause and effect and looking for patterns over time. And there's truth to that. And like for someone who goes into personal fables and things like, oh, well, this person is special and this situation is special and they go off into a fantasy world, they kind of need to see the cold hard facts of human behavior. Um, because a lot of that, that book is true. I do agree with you that it was written by someone who's not very sophisticated and actually understanding human emotions and stuff. But a lot of guys could read that book and will do a lot better with women, uh, especially if they have a history of anxiety. But do you think that people that end up like taking that book to heart will just end up attracting women that are equally as fucked up in a different way? So it's like if you, if you have a fucked up philosophy and then you read another one, like, it seems like very avoidant men tend to attract very anxious women. And secure people seem to attract secure people. And occasionally an avoidant will get with the secure and occasionally an anxious will get with a secure. But if like, if your plan is to jerry-rig the system and be manipulative because of some abstract rules, it's like, it just sounds like if the way that you deal with your anxiety is to further manipulate, you've missed the fucking point. And you're just going to keep getting people that are playing your game. And the people that you probably want to be with are the ones that really aren't playing a game. So um, I agree with the first part you said. I don't think anyone's playing the game on purpose, though. We're all in the game. I mean, true. But I think that there are some people that make it a value of theirs that I'm not going to manipulate anybody. I'm not going to. Um, I think most, I think very few people are trying to manipulate people. It's just, but we, we respond to certain things. like. Like uh, the whole, the whole idea behind, I mean, this is kind of a simplification of it, but it's like saying act avoidant. He actually, the book actually, uh, he doesn't talk about attachment theory, but he goes into uh, creating competition anxiety and he says it as a virtue. He even says it as a married man who's faithful to his wife. He wants to create competition anxiety so that she stays in love with him, which is a very cold scientific and kind of heartless way to look at things. However, 
I bet he has a very happy marriage, despite his very reptilian view of things. I mean, at least it's stable. And I think that I, I, I wouldn't even say happy. I bet that it is happy. I think he's doing way more work than it has to be. That my wife's love for me is, is predicated upon my, what, uh, how desirable I'm able to keep myself in the eyes of other women. Uh, I'd say that's a cold, hard truth. And I think that, hold on, I think secure people have that too. They just don't try to manipulate that because secure people are loved by people. Uh, so I, I think, so a lot of, a lot of this stuff is like, it's taking what's naturally attractive in people, breaking it down in a very cold way and trying to restructure it. And the problem is, and, and you said this already, is that you need to constantly be working to manipulate your, your image. And that to me is exhausting and it will kill you inside. However, it gets the results that you're looking for. So, material so result. One, other, one other thing that I want to add on to that is I've completely stopped reading pickup books probably, probably a few years ago because I noticed that every book I would read, it would just make me more sad and nothing would happen. And I'm like, all right, well, what's wrong here? And what seemed to be wrong here is that everything about, and I even think about this like with Fearless Man, which I really love that channel. Like, I think they're on to something huge there. But like, it seems like awesome. they're, what was that? Uh, Fearless is awesome. Like they're, 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 they're the awesome. real deal. They're great. They're the real deal, man. Um, but even even that, it seems like so much of this like is the deification of women indirectly. Whether you're reacting, whether it's like reactive defensive deification, like we have to keep them, you know, we have to keep them competitive and blah blah blah, and or it's like the other one, which is the anxious guy. It's like um, it's like the guys that is what is it the Madonna whore complex? Like it's either the most beautiful, amazing thing, yeah. or all women are whores and react to them like they're whores, and yeah. It's like removing the humanity from them and in, in, in putting them, it, it's always putting them in a separate category as you. And all of the guys that I know that are really great with women, they don't read pickup books. They don't think about creating competition in their, you know, their yeah. woman. They're not out trying to like, you know, whatever the fuck. Like, it's just like, it's I all just, those books, they're trying to copy those guys and see what they do unconsciously. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's good to be aware of these things. But yeah, you're right. You shouldn't be trying to manufacture this thing. However, again, like if you're really trying to break against anxious behavior, it doesn't hurt to fake it till you make it on some level. And uh, because the truth is like the really secure guy doesn't have to manufacture competition anxiety because there's always a bunch of women who are attracted to him. So his partner always knows that and she never will doubt his value on some level. Obviously, that's that's a very simplistic way to put it but like yeah anyway i mean i'm repeating myself now so so say say an anxious guy is about to go out with a woman and on the first date um he says uh i don't know she says tell me about yourself you know standard question he says well um i blah 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 extraneous details and i have a bit of anxiety especially around dating um, i've been working on it but it's just something that i deal with and um but yeah that's pretty much it. He says it as a fact. Is that yeah. an anxious behavior? I think that's the most secure thing in the world to stay, say the truth. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I say this in, in like a more technical dating context. Like if you feel nervous, say it. Because if, you, if you're feeling nervous and trying to hide it, it's just going to magnify your shame about it. Because but if that, you expose it, that's an opposite to iciness, right? Because if you're icy, then you wouldn't expose it. You would just... Because in some way, if you're oh, being- oh, actually, all right, so I want to. I think this is where you were, where we went off uh, on different directions. Like the iciness I'm talking about is like you actually don't feel it anymore. 
because you actually don't feel anything. <laughs> oh, right? it's, not, it's not putting on a mask. It's like, and I think that's one of the remnants of avoidance that I have is that I, I've never like really let go and never been moved to the degree that I was moved as a 15 year old, which is, I don't, is not a good thing. And I don't, and I'm working against that. Because I, I get infatuated quickly, but I don't like really fall in love. Oh, let's see. That's, I, oof, I don't want to say it on the podcast, but I'll edit things out. Well, it's, it, it's honest, right? Yeah. Mm, I actually made myself sad by saying that. Jeez. Yeah. This is good. <laughs> so, all right. So let's, so let's, let's um, go back to the initial premise of this whole podcast. We're focusing on anxious guys right now. I'm your, I'm your, your guinea pig. And um, a guy wants to move to secure, but he kind of has to go through the tunnels of avoidance. I don't think he has to. I think it's or, more than likely he will. Okay. So, so tell me a bit about that process for like, um, what does that process look like for somebody? Actually, I will liken it to a movie that we probably all see in the 40-year-old version because he's super anxious. He goes through a process of avoidance where he's dating the chick who's like into his chest hair. I, don't, I haven't seen the movie in a long time. Actually, I watched that movie with the chick that I, that I mentioned earlier who broke my heart. Oh, because we actually ended up dating senior year. Oh, actually, hold on. This is important, actually. Um, after she broke my heart sophomore year, I ended up lifting weights smoking pot and listening to spirituality audiobooks nonstop. Junior year was kind of a, a transition year where I became a huge dick and which was totally an opposite. And like, I was even mean to her and I noticed immediately she was attracted to me the first time ever. I think I told her to shut up or something. And I was like, wait a minute, all these like weird pickup books I'm reading that say you should be a jerk actually work crazy. So I, I took it to the next level and ended up dating um, my senior year. Then I became really anxious and like, you know, all the poetry stuff, I was like super obsessed with her. And then she, then she dumped me again, like within two months. Um, why did I bring that up? Because it's true. But it was related to the point that I was about to make. Um, anyway, you flip-flop before you get to security. It does, it does, I mean, what I just said, though, supports the whole rational male thing of like, yeah, I mean, because I was still, I was still moody inside. And I was learning a new persona, but that persona worked way better. It worked way better than the needy persona because the, the woman who eluded me for my entire adolescence actually liked me for a minute. That's not saying that you should actually do that because it's not sustainable. I, 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 will, I will admit that I've, um, I've uh, anyway, it's not, it's not serving me anymore. But I'll also say, I mean, this is why I think it is a journey where a lot of guys go into avoidance is that many men don't want to settle down in their 20s if they can have it anyway. I mean, I've, I've heard this from thousands, of, hundreds of guys, let's say, who I'm like, you know, maybe they're in their early 20s. I'm like, well, what do you want your dating life to be like your whole life? And almost every guy says, I want to have a lot of sexual experiences in my 20s, maybe into my 30s, and I want to settle down with one woman I love. I've heard that exact thing a million times. A hundred, couple hundred. Um, and I think that, I mean, that kind of makes sense if you're looking at it from a value perspective or life planning perspective. Um, and if that means you're avoidant for a period of time, uh, having a bunch of experiences, and then you, then you really learn intimacy, it's not, a, it's not a, it's not an evolved goal. I wouldn't say it's very, it's very like, conscious or enlightened to do that, but it makes more sense <laughs> than being anxious. Yeah. See, it's interesting. And it, 
It's weird, man. It's you and I are talking about like really big threads and that kind of underpin a lot of like the 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 opposing forces in life. Like we could call it avoidant attachment and anxious attachment, but there's also the idea of rich meaning and just kind of the cold hard truth about life, right? So on one level it's like, well, I can look at it this way. I'm in my twenties, my biceps are as strong as they'll probably ever be, and I still have all my hair, so I should fuck as much as I possibly can, because this is my real estate baby. But at the <laughs> but at the but at the same time, there's a thought of like, well, that's a narrative that I'm giving myself, but what if what I really want to do is has nothing to do with that? And what if yeah. what I really want to do is pursue depth and connection? How would I what goal am I serving myself in the long run by sleeping with as many women as possible? And because everything has an opportunity cost. So what am I losing by kind of, you know what I'm saying? And it's, it just seems to be kind of a battle, you know, and there's yeah. some people that seem to have temperaments that are more like artistic or creative or deep or transcendent or whatever that seem to kind of want to go for the real, the deeper experiences and then there seems to be others that are really totally fine with just like like the idea of bringing women home for me and acting avoidant i'm almost certain that i wouldn't be able to perform sexually if that happened like with this other girl the, I, I, it was super anxious but my dick was like a fucking piece of cement it was so fucking hard it was like <laughs> awesome so you know there's, there's there's something to that and i and and that that's also a little bit confusing because if there are these anxious guys then what turns them on is an ideal or a projected image or, or an imagined union that even if it's fragmented and not real, it's still like real enough, man, for this moment. So telling people to act a certain way, it's almost like I just wonder what would be lost in translation and trying to act out this persona. Like if I have a woman, she's just there. I don't even know if I could do it. Like I need to feel that emotional story and narrative. And if I don't get to reveal that, it's like... What the fuck's the point? Well, that's the secure thing. And I, and I just want to be clear. I'm not telling anyone to be avoided. I hey, everyone, Ruan's not telling you to be avoided. Right. I mean, I have to say that a few times, but I feel like that's, I, I mean. I keep painting it in that way. That's my fault, but it's, you know. Yeah, what the hell, Tim? Painting fantasies everywhere. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, and to your to you specifically, I'd say you got to respect the cock. <laughs> Clearly. Really, that's what you want, and you should you should be going for those experiences. And I think everyone, everyone, uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, it's kind of it's kind of like um, it's like fitness too. You know, like people can tell you how to get fit, but at the end of the day, it's like find something that you like, find something that you is that you've done enough experience, you have enough experiential evidence that you could like show up and do that thing over and over again and get fit. Like if someone just gives you a program and it's not really your program. So it sounds like what you're saying is like, if you're naturally kind of a romantic guy, severing that completely is probably A, not possible and B, not advisable. But if you can find a way to strategically incorporate different aspects and, you know, because that, essentially that's what it sounds like taking on avoidant characteristics is, is it's like, well... There are things that are maladaptive about how you relate. And there's probably things that are really good, like experience deep connection with someone. That's a valuable skill to have. Yeah. So but it's like, write the poem, but don't share it. Yeah. Or maybe for an anxious guy, it might be something along the lines of, don't shut off completely, but be very, very, have very strategic guidelines about what you're willing to reveal to somebody and be disciplined about it. And have like maybe a principle insofar as I won't reveal any more intimacy than 
then gets revealed to me first. And I'll, I'll, I'll at least be a vigilant of my desire to want to merge too quickly with somebody. Yeah. Again, but those are training wheels because I think like I'm looking at my own life. That was great advice to me in my early twenties, but now I, I'm almost always the first one to reveal uh, my interests. Because I, I think in many contexts, I, I really play the Wolverine where I'm like, I don't care if she rejects me because I'm going to regenerate real fast. <laughs> or, or meet another woman who I'm going to have the same connection, I mean, a deep connection with. And um, that to me is secure. I think that's secure of me. I don't know. That sounds, that sounds, that sounds like the ideal to me too. I think yeah. the idea is anxious guys do that. They do the right thing, but they do it for the wrong reason. They usually mm-hmm. reveal shit because they don't realize they're trying to manipulate the woman. Yeah. But you're doing is I'm revealing it because I'm not attached to an outcome and I'm revealing it because it's true and I don't have anything to fucking hide. And if you don't, if you don't reciprocate, then that's, we just avoided a, a disaster of a, of a, you know, of a date. But if you reciprocate, then it's on and things are good and I don't have to hide. But man, like so many people, including avoidance, like have to trudge through all of the self-deception to like yeah. just being able to say to somebody like you're you're fucking gorgeous let's go to my place I'm, i make great souffle that's yeah. that's a great line and <laughs> very secure and uh <laughs> because i mean it, it's going, going back to the drunk thing it, it comes down can you really really see the truth right because like i'll open myself up but because if, if i notice but if i notice like if i recognize like okay she really doesn't like me and she's not going to like me tomorrow and she's not going to like me if i send her another three poems i just stop myself there <laughs> Right. That's that's the more secure thing as opposed to well, let me see one more thing. Like, let me see. I mean, maybe if he beats me again type of thing, you know, like uh, I don't know why I went dark that quick, but that, that is also extreme and anxious uh, attachment. No. Yeah. And there's there's a certain level of, of addiction to that, too. It's it's what's yeah. interesting to me is that I know if I send something to her, most likely it's not going to go well for me. But there's a part that compulsively wants to see. And I almost yeah. think it's a part of me that is like attracted to hurting myself, like a little bit masochistic. Yeah. Well, like, uh, uh, I, I think Neil Strauss really put this really well in the truth, um, where he, he framed how, uh, love addicts who are anxious seek the lows in life. Whereas, oh uh, yeah, that stuck out to me too. That yeah. Was- so, so avoidance seek the highs. So like, uh, they always look fine, right? They're not going to get heartbroken. They're not doing anything embarrassing. And then the anxious person looks like a chump because they're always like, why, like, why did you, you knew that was going to break your heart? Why'd you do it again? But they, 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 this exact what you said, you kind of want to see, you kind of want to like put yourself through it, even if you know it's going to be bad. And, you know, that's, uh, no good. So, so um, happiness. How, how much time do we have to talk, man? I don't, we've been, uh, I don't know. I should probably get off soon. Okay. Um, I have a, a, a little, Maybe a fun exercise. Okay. So uh, last night I was at a Goodwill and I purchased a very handsome blazer. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. It's not really relevant, but that's what happened. Um, there was a, a, a woman there and I asked her opinion. She's like, it's great. She's really cute. And then I'm leaving in the cashier checking out and her aunt comes up and she's like, she's single. You should ask her out. And, um, and, uh, I said, I'm sorry, I'm not single to the girl. I lied. Like, I have no fucking idea why, but I said, I'm not single. And then I went to the bar and I was like, why the fuck? And I realized <laughs> I just didn't want to step into the tension. I didn't want to have oh. to. 
I just got scared. I was like, oh, what's the easiest way to escape? I'm not single. Look how cool I am with my lies. Um, so, uh, uh, but I ended up chasing her coming back while she was like, like chasing her sense so anxious. I ended, up, <laughs> I ended up coming back after five minutes. Like I, I became clear headed and I went up to her and I was like, I caught her in the parking lot as she was leaving. I was like, you know, honestly, I don't have a girlfriend. I just got out of a relationship though. And it, so my knee jerk was to say that I wasn't single because my head was somewhere, somewhere else. But I'd really like to hang out with you sometime if you want to. She's like, yeah, I would love to. I'm like, cool. So we exchanged numbers. Now, this is where Ruan can come in and probably help some anxious dudes out there. Um, I'm about to go on this date with what I think is a securely attached woman. How do I not fuck this up? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, first, I want to commend you on... The going back is extremely secure. And in fact, I tell guys this all the time because when you're trying to get out of knee jerk reactions, a lot of times you just don't. You like, you, you, you look away, you do the thing, you, you convince yourself not to approach her. But the thing you can do always is run back. And most guys are not willing to do that. But I think there's a lot to that. In fact, I, I don't, I haven't gone out cold approaching a long time. But I was talking with my boy, Trip Herm, who, who you and I might hang with in, in Miami. Um, mm -hmm. and I was like, Almost all of my direct approaches are from missing the approach because I got too nervous and then running after her. Like I, I, we kind of broke down my my direct approach technique. It's always from fucking up at first because I always a chicken out. And I found out that running after her actually ended up anyway. Um, Scientist. Well, what's my point? It's too late in the day. What are we talking about? Oh, advice. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, oh yeah, I wanted to commend you on this event. You're very secure thing. Thank uh, you. This is what come, is coming to mind because I literally just went over this with my client right before this call. Uh, making a list of all the anxious patterns, like all the behaviors that you know are not right, right? Because like, what can you go back to cognitively when you go drunk, if you go drunk on anxiety? Uh, and then a list of all the things that you know are secure, like you going back and saying all this stuff, saying the truth, recognizing the truth is very secure of you. Admitting is very secure. Speaking your true desire is very secure. Uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, not putting it on a pedestal, all these things. Um, and, and when you have the list, I know this it probably seems kind of basic to make a list, but I think it's a good idea because you can recognize like, oh shit, uh, I'm doing this behavior. I feel funny. Is it on my list? Oh, these are drunk behaviors. I'm being a drunkard right now. I'm being anxious. And then you can, you can check yourself. It's useful too because the list always creates a structure and I think that people underestimate how dirty their room can get if they don't like put to put together their thoughts on paper. You know, um, just like being in a dirty room, you're like, why the fuck do I feel depressed? It's like, oh, because my shit's everywhere and nothing's yeah. in order. So yeah. yeah. All right. I think it's a good way to end. This was a really fun oh. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's really Thanks useful for for, for yeah. uh happy new year. I was probably yeah. out for a week, but uh, right now it's almost New Year's Eve. It's New Year's Eve. It is. It is almost New Year's Eve, and I have an OK Cube. I got on uh, what's it called dating apps for the first time in a year last night because I was helping this guy get get like like actually talk to women on his dating app. And he's getting all these responses. So I was like, oh, maybe I'm better at this. So now I have like four <laughs> notifications. Anyway. Awesome, man! You should go check them. Um, all right, we're in the recording. Uh, good episode. See ya. All right, buddy. See you later. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to catch the rest of my work, go to Rwando.com. Catch me on social media at Rwando. And please do not forget to subscribe.